This week on Totally Biased Media, we discuss Outriders. Jason continues his trend of not shutting up about Disco Elysium. We explain the dangers of reading? And more. Stay tuned for the newest episode of TBM. I'm Jackson Walkup, and I've only played 50% of the games we're playing today. I'm Jason Simmons, and I played the other 50%. I'm Jordan Walkup, and I wish you were here. Folks, we've got not one, but two games for you today, and they could not be more different. First up, we're talking about Outriders, the new game from People Can Fly, the same people that brought you Bulletstorm and Gears of War Judgment. That's the bad one. It's published by Square Enix, the same company that brought you over 30 games with the words Final and Fantasy in their title. Now, Outriders is a new action RPG shooter, and it fits right in that fine <laughs> that fine category we call Looter Shooter, or Schluter if you're an idiot. In Outriders, you play as an edgy warrior who has just landed on humanity's last chance at salvation the planet Enoch. Some crazy sci-fi stuff happens. You get some wild powers, and then you go to sleep for 30 years. You wake up to this world which has been Mad Maxified, and your only chance at survival is to go past the furthest reaches of humanity's grip on Enoch to find... I think it was a beacon. I don't remember for sure. It was definitely something from the ship you were on 30-some years prior... And it's just been there all this time. I, I don't really understand the details of it. But anyways, you gotta travel to a bunch of places, crawling with alien life forms, and even edgier anti-establishment humans who somehow got there before you, even though the whole point was humans haven't been there yet. And then you gotta kill all those things. And that's the whole game. I'm in the second group. Just to establish myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Jackson and I are the only ones that actually played this game. Um, so, Jackson, I'm going to kick it off to you to get get us started on the review. So, let's start off the, the story. Um, no one's here for it. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I've been... I've watched every cutscene. I try to have been paying attention to it. It's so boring that I don't care to pay attention to it anymore. I could not tell you what exactly i am doing currently in the game yeah that's about it for the story there's a bunch of side quests to yeah. go along with it they're still the uh, side quests are kind of bland you pretty much there is set areas for the side quests. you go and kill enemies uh have a short little dialogue section and that's the side quest and there's a ton of those the gameplay is the gameplay can be pretty good I have had a uh, few few sections where it is not that great. I think that really just depends on your class, though. Because I am playing as the trickster who is mostly centered around killing many enemies. But fighting bosses as the trickster, especially in the early game, sucks. Because you don't really have a whole lot of damage output from your abilities or anything. And speaking of the classes, I just want to point out there are four of them. Uh, even though this is a three-player game. The four classes are called... Devastator, Trickster, Pyromancer, and Technomancer. And they are about as dumb as they sound. Um, it's it's wild. They are very distinct classes. I'll give them that. That's pretty cool. They do very different things and handle themselves very differently. Um, they all look and sound stupid. <laughs> With the Trickster, you're going to be up close a whole lot, so you're going to want to prioritize shotguns and SMGs and dual pistols. I think the, yeah, the Technomancer, he creates turrets, so with him, you pretty much just want to throw one of those out, get behind cover away from enemies, and use snipers and semi-auto rifles, anything with a good bit of range. Uh, I couldn't really tell you much about the other classes. So the uh, Pyromancer 
is all about damage over time. Everything you do in the game lights enemies on fire, you deal damage with the fire, and then that heals you back. Uh, the Devastator, which is a class I'm playing as, is the game's tankiest class. Uh, everything the Devastator does is just about getting into the thick of battle and making yourself as hard to kill as possible. Um, now, one thing that I think is actually really, really smart about this game, and something that I hope is implemented into more shooters in the future, is that every class heals in a different way, but it's always something aggressive and that encourages you to get into the fray. So, for example, I'm playing as the Devastator. The Devastator gets healing on every kill, and close-range kills heal you for even more. So, by that, you are... You are better off getting right in a mob's face with like an LMG or something than you are trying to stand back and use cover and strategize. Like you just, you need to be aggressive and that's really cool. And I think is sort of what sells me on the way gameplay in this game works because it looks like a cover based shooter, but it is not. This is a much faster and more chaotic shooter than games like. Uh, Division, for example, which looks really similar, but does not mechanically play the same at all. And some classes you will utilize cover more, especially with the Trickster, who's very much a hit-and-run character. With the Trickster, what I usually do is I'll find the closest cover, kind of just see where all the enemies are in the battlefield, then I'll use the teleport ability to get up on them, and then use either, like, the, uh, you get, one of the abilities is called Temporal Blade. You kind of just summon a uh, a space blade on your arm and you do like a big sweep you can get you can hit a lot of enemies with that and this is pretty good bit of damage so you can teleport in use that and then kind of just like run away <laughs> so pretty much with the trickster you just keep doing stuff like that and that's why it's pretty good for killing many enemies but not so good for bosses and then you've got classes like the the uh technomancer like i mentioned too you're going to want to throw a turret out get far from the enemies behind cover and use snipers and stuff. So you're saying they put a lot of work into the combat systems, but significantly less into the story. Yeah, absolutely. And that actually is a good lead into. I, I can sum up every all my feelings about this game in a couple of sentences. The story, the dialogue, the visuals, everything about this game's appearance and presentation and its general tone bad very bad across the board however the gameplay and the progression hooks in it are so much fun like when you really get in the heat of combat and you're throwing off ability after ability and using powerful weapons with crazy mods and perks and stuff on them like it is so much fun and it feels so cool to be able to do these big combos and set up crazy moves um it's just Everything that is happening while you're not in combat is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, across the board, unpleasant game, other than when you were in combat. Yeah, I I think just looters in general have that issue where, which, I mean, granted, makes sense. The gameplay is the first and foremost thing. They want to make sure you can kill a bunch of enemies with cool loot. And you got cool mods with that, cool abilities. So, which makes sense. The story is just usually sidelined a lot with those, especially with this game. I almost feel like this game would have been great if it just completely abandoned any semblance of a narrative at all and just went for almost like an arena or survival type game. It's kind of like how we were talking about Godzilla versus Kong, where the movie would have been much better if they just dropped any pretense of a story. <laughs> And just show me the yeah. monsters fighting each other. I'm just here yeah. for the monkey punching the lizard. And I will say, I will say, this game, you do spend the vast majority of it in the heat of battle. So, like, that is good. It is, it definitely gives me similar feelings to Godzilla vs. Kong, but at least it sticks to its guns. <laughs> Whereas Godzilla vs. Kong was like, we got these really cool fight scenes, and there are 30 minutes of downtime between them. This game, you know... It takes a while to get to and from certain missions and things, but generally speaking, you're doing some kind of fighting the entire way through, and it's it's always good. 
Like, I, I get what Jackson says about inconsistencies in fights, especially with bosses and things. Um, and maybe it is partially based on the class you choose. But for me, like, I've genuinely enjoyed the combat all the way through. And I am what I assume is the very end of the game. Um, I have probably 25-ish hours in the game so far. Um, and I am genuinely still enjoying the combat a lot. It looks bad. It sounds bad. The story's bad. The writing's bad. It's There's just so much about this game. It's not that it's even... It's not that it's low effort or poorly made. It's like they made deliberate choices that just are bad. <laughs> you know, it kind of sounds, at least on some level, uh, similar to with uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution, where, mm -hmm. at least with the trickster, you know, the stuff Jackson was complaining about, the combat's really satisfying and all that, and it, it, you know, it provides you all these different ways that you can play the game, but then it also has stuff like the boss battles, which really, you know, kind of incentivize playing one way. Mm -hmm. I know that was a big complaint with Deus Ex, where, you know, you could play completely stealthily if you wanted to, or you could build, you know, in a way that makes you good at taking out several enemies, but not one. But you'd always end up coming up against these bosses where it's a 1v1 fight or, you know, something similar. There, There is, like, one major enemy that just has so much health. And it's like, oh, well, now you actually can't play the way that you've been playing the rest of the game. You're going to have to play this way or else. So you just can't make it any further without playing this way. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. Um, I think me playing as the Devastator, I didn't see it quite as much. Because I think even though they're not the strongest class, they're probably the most versatile but especially for the trickster and the pyromancer, I could definitely see it getting like it sort of pigeonholes you into playing a specific way, even if that's not how you want to play the game. I think that's kind of just a hard thing to balance in games, though. I mean, you want to make it to where players can, you know, choose how they want to play, especially in these games where you have several different classes. But I also think looter shooters in general generally seem like they're kind of geared towards multiplayer. For that kind of reason. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like, you're not supposed to really just play one of the classes. You're supposed to, you know, get a friend together or, you know, a group of friends together. And everybody's playing a different class to kind of handle different parts of the team. Right. Make sure that, you know, right. you're not you're not just uh, kind of pigeonholed. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're not only able to do, like, one thing. You're able to, you know, take on as many different situations as possible. Yeah, even in, like, in Destiny 2, which I'd say probably 75%, if not more, of my time is spent playing solo, the most fun I've had with that game is the parts where I'm playing with other people. And I will say, that is that is one of two ways that I think our review of this game is going to be a little bit insufficient, in a sense, because, one, neither of us has played very much multiplayer in this game at all, and two... Neither of us have finished the story, so we haven't really dug into the post-game yet, which is a pretty big part of any given looter shooter. Would you even say your review could be biased? Mm, doesn't sound right. <laughs> um, I, think, I think that this game does a lot that's actually really smart and inventive and that I hope plays a role in future shooters, two of which that I really love and that really give the game a lot of personality are the mod system and the world tiers so mod the modding in this game is is pretty cool every piece of gear after like the most basic rarity will have at least one mod slot and that mod for armor can augment your powers in cool ways for weapons it could give them special effects or make them fire differently or add status effects things like that it's just a lot of ways you can augment these weapons but once you break down a weapon or a piece of armor you are then free to put that mod on any other weapon or piece of armor so you can make some really cool combinations by breaking down a piece putting it on another um, so for example i have a gun that I've been using for several levels now um, that I keep leveling it up to keep it at my level where it both electrocutes and burns enemies. And then I am wearing armor that one piece of armor increases damage of all lightning attacks. Another piece of armor makes it to where all damage dealt to enemies that are on fire is increased. So those things work together really well. And then on top of that, there are some just absolutely crazy mods, like I have a legendary gun that once I get a kill, 
it spawns a giant orb that's like constantly shocking enemies near it. And then if I destroy that orb, it explodes over a really wide area and just wipes everything in it. It just has some really, really cool ideas about how to give you unique items that actually do really cool things and then still let you customize them really far after that. Like, it is it is a very cool system. I think games like Destiny would really stand to benefit from, you know, taking a look at systems like that. Now, the world tier... But yeah, like you can do some really, really cool stuff with the mod system. Sort of a bane to that is the fact that I think you unlock it a little too late in the game. I think it could have stood to give you that sooner. Probably would have benefited from that. Because it's not until you're at least several hours in that you unlock that. And you don't really see the scope of how deep this game can go until you have that option. Now, the other really cool feature is the world tier system. So... It is essentially a sliding difficulty scale where, like, a, at world tier level one, the enemies are something like two levels below you. And then it goes all the way up to world tier 15, where the enemies are now 12 levels ahead of you. However, you can now equip gear up to their level, and the drop rates for rare items goes up. It's a really cool system that lets you play until you get until you unlock the world tier that feels right for you that you think is like the right difficulty and that pushes you just enough and then you can just stay at that world tier the rest of the game like it's a it's it's like adaptive difficulty but better <laughs> in a system where you can control it and you're rewarded for pushing yourself but you never are obligated to go past the difficulty that feels right for how you play like i just think it's a really cool system that i i think really really encouraged me to push difficulties up in a way that I haven't for games like, you know, like uh, Destiny has, you can get to where enemies are a higher level than you and the difficulty starts to really escalate. I've never really felt compelled to do that stuff unless there was just no other way to get good gear. Um, whereas this, I wanted to keep pushing the level up as much as I can as soon as I unlock a new feature. It kind of sounds similar to Diablo 3's difficulty system. It is. It, it is similar. Um, there's a little more variety to it, and I think it's a little more rewarding, but it is it is functionally very similar. It's also very similar to the Mayhem system for Borderlands 3. Because like in that, you number one, don't even unlock it until you beat the main campaign. And since True Vault Under Mode in Borderlands 3 is garbage, there's not really any reason to play with Mayhem Mode. Plus... You don't progress through the mayhem levels in Borderlands 3. Like, once you unlock them, you can just... You can change it to 10 automatically. And... like, Which, I guess that's fine. My biggest issue with it in Borderlands 3 is that... It doesn't really feel very rewarding, considering how often legendaries already drop. But, like... With the mayhem... Well, sorry, with the world tiers in outriders by the time you get the world tier 15 i think you get a plus 500 percent drop rate for legendaries which i think brings it one percent which sounds low but also like that's still higher than most games <laughs> other than borderlands yeah. 3 I, I think outriders walks an incredibly fine line where it is generous with loot but it never swamps you in it or throws it at you so fast that you're not still enjoying finding new loot now I will say not all loot is created equal. Um, the weapons are the weapon balance isn't great. Um, the armor sets I, I know it's personal preference, but most of them just look so dumb. <laughs> they're they're bad. That, but yeah, that um, is completely just personal preference though, because the entire yeah. world of Outriders has a very has a very uh, the way I describe it is a very heavy metal feel to it. <laughs> All yeah. the gear reminds me of stuff that people would wear when performing a heavy metal concert. <laughs> yeah. So it's not really like Destiny, where I feel like the, at least with the legendaries, uh, you know, loot looked pretty different from each other. You, you're saying for the most no. part, it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of one style and sticks with it? Yeah. Well, it kind of has two, in a sense. You have the very high sci-fi, like very sleek, uh, neon-ish lighting and colors then you got um, bones and that's fine but then yeah the other the other is just really grungy and edgy like lots of skulls and bones and lots of black and it's it's not Which, great from, but, <laughs> i don't mind I get, some of the more sci-fi stuff 
but yeah. Can I get a good pair of blue jeans in there? I think you can. You can. <laughs> there are there are a solid number of options that just are blue jeans. <laughs> can I get like a whole denim outfit? <laughs> not that I have seen, but it would not surprise me in the slightest. Just imagine, just imagine a guy comes up to you, you know, in Outriders. He's uh, you know, maybe maybe the biggest class, the uh, Berserker or whatever you said. <laughs> Yeah, Devastator. Yeah, yeah, the Devastator, and he just walks up to you. T-shirt, <laughs> jean jacket, blue jeans, <laughs> sneakers, and he's wearing, like, uh, one of those newsboy caps. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm here to kill and, all uh, the aliens. Then he turns into a mountain of stone and flies through the air like a bullet. Um, Which, another weird yeah. thing with the look of armor, is it seems the more normal sci-fi stuff, is only in the beginning of the game, and the farther you get through the game, the more it turns to bones. Yeah, a big part of it is sort of the the progression of the game, because at first you are sort of in the remnants of where civilization first landed on Enoch, and the further you get, you're more outside of humanity's reach, so your armor becomes more centric around like nature and the things you would find if you were out surviving in the wilds. Um, it also just generally looks worse as you go. We didn't really talk about the look of the game other than me saying it's bad. The environments are just, they're kind of bland and dark and don't have much personality. And there's just random things laying around, which are clearly just made to be cover, even though they wouldn't actually be like that in those situations at all. Like there wouldn't just be like random metal walls set up around an empty clearing just you know it's just there as cover and it just looks really bad a lot of the time i mean again i actually like really like a lot of this game but it just there's just some really bad decisions about it i would say the marketing is probably one of the bad decisions i mean absolutely i've seen i i've seen a lot of like articles and stuff talking about how this isn't a games as a service game but yeah. in my mind, it just occupies that space. It it, <laughs> it right. It's a games as a service right. game, even though it isn't, just because of the way it's marketed. I mean, it's clearly just kind of yeah. like it's it wants to be Destiny in a lot of ways, at least from the marketing. Like I said, I haven't played it personally, but yeah, I I well, don't get why you'd make a game and you would take all the trappings and the dressings of Destiny and then you know be like, oh, but this is a different thing. Well, and actually, for me personally, I totally get why you would do that. Because I have, like, I loved my time with both Destiny games. But I fell off once they got more dependent on co op or repeating unnecessary things or the grind just got too significant. And I loved the concept of a game that was like Destiny, but got rid of all that stuff. And this game just. It's not that in the end. I think they were trying to be, and on some fronts they succeeded, but it's it's not that. I mean, you guys said earlier on that the story was kind of lacking and not super interesting. I mean, how would you compare it to, like, say, Destiny 1's story at launch? Honestly, I still think Destiny 1's was better. Not because it was necessarily more interesting or had more significance, but at least it was competent. And knew what it was doing, and this game doesn't even really have that going for it. Jackson, how do you think it compares? Well, see, the thing with comparing the story of this game to the story of Destiny is it's hard because Destiny's story is very much built around its lore, which is kind of what carries it. Like, I'll be honest, um, besides Forsaken, Destiny's story was just kind of, oh, okay, Sorry, bud. I did specify Destiny One, where all of the lore was outside of the game in on the website. <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking Oof. Destiny Two, where they were like, "Oh, let's put the story in the game." I'm talking Destiny <laughs> yeah. One, where you got trading cards that you could only look at on the website. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jackson, you didn't play Destiny One truly at no. launch. Yeah, you would find these things, and they would literally just have like a URL. Even in Des in Destiny One, story. There's still a lot of building on the lore with it. Outriders doesn't seem to have any lore, which, with a bad story, doesn't make it easy to carry. 
Yeah, you said it was yeah. uh it was as if you or the story presents it as you are like the first people on the planet or something like that. Or at least like yeah. a really early group of uh, people exploring. Yeah. But then you have, right. you know, already there are groups of outlaws outside of the boundaries. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It's like you land, you get frozen, and then somewhere in the 30 year time frame humanity's kind of divided off it's already down to only like a small fraction of what got there in the first place and yeah oh so you missed all they the do... good stuff <laughs> you, basically you were sleeping yeah. through it it was like yeah. if they made a captain yeah. america movie about the korean war like he was he was asleep <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep that that is what's happening here okay well we've gone on too long about this game already jackson why don't you give us a summary and your your score i didn't want to have to say this for a second week in a row, but Outriders, it's all right. Um, the gameplay, very good. The mod system and the world tier system are pretty nice. I really like those. The story, not very good. Visuals, kind of bland. Dialogue is just straight out bad. But one of the things that affects my review is they kept calling this a deep RPG. And here's the thing. The gameplay systems are that of your typical looter shooter, but the story is not. And they never specified that it was just the gameplay that would be deep. So going into this, I figured it would have a Fallout or Mass Effect style gameplay where minimum cutscenes, almost everything that happens is told through the gameplay or through character interactions. But, like, character interactions, you can't really decide how they go, and almost all the story stuff happens through cutscenes. Um, yeah, this game is, it. you would not anticipate it based on the type of game it is, but it's incredibly linear, and the conversations really only go one direction. Like, you'll have multiple dialogue options, but you always have to end up saying one particular one to progress the story. It's just, I, I don't know. I, like I said before, I think they would have almost been better off just dropping any semblance of a story whatsoever and just going the route of basically fetch quest or survival stuff. But but anyways, Jackson, give give us a score. I would give Outriders a 6 out of 10. It is okay. This game, story, dialogue, visuals, bad. Everything bad. But the gameplay real good like i would have to say just the gameplay alone if it was in a better package would probably be like a solid eight eight and a half but everything else holds it back so much that yeah I, i'm going six out of ten as well it's just i don't know like this game seems like it was tailor-made for me and it's just not very good <laughs> like there are parts that are great there are parts that are excellent and everything else falls flat I'll review it on our, our classic looter shooter scale. I give this game, from what I've heard about it, a Borderlands 3 out of Borderlands 2. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that just about does it for our first game. We're going to take a quick break, and then we will come back and talk about another new video game. <laughs> Hey, son, what you got there? It's a book. Shut up and get that thing away from me. Why aren't you playing video games? Video games rot your brain, Dad. I'm too cool for video games. No son of mine is too cool for anything. But you want to compromise? Fine. Play Disco Elysium. What's that? Disco Elysium, final cut, is the new hit game from Zalm, where you play as a detective trying to piece together both the mystery of his past and a murder most foul. Doesn't seem like my kind of thing. I prefer reading Agatha Christie novels. It's like an Agatha Christie novel come to life, you idiot. No books until you solve that murder. But Dad, I'm just about to find out who killed Dumbledore. Play it now. Dad, you're scaring me. The only thing to be scared of is the intense word-on-screen action of Disco Elysium, available wherever games are sold. I want to go live with Mom. <laughs> We're back, everybody. 
And next up, we are talking about the hit game, Disco Elysium. It's developed and published by Zom. This is their one and only game. And, ooh buddy, it's a big one. <laughs> uh, it originally released on in October of 2019 on PC, but they just recently released the Final Cut Edition, which was sort of a Game of the Year edition, so to speak, which added a little bit of new content, but the biggest addition was voice acting, and they added uh, support for PS4 and PS5. I played it on console, Jason played it on PC. And to give you the rundown on what Disco Elysium is, you wake up in a destroyed hotel room. You don't remember your name, where you are, or how you got there. You quickly learn you're a police officer investigating a murder, but that's about it. <laughs> uh, shortly after, you meet your partner, Kim Kitsuragi, and the two of you travel around the fictional town of Revishal investigating the murder, trying to piece together who you are, and trying to better understand how basically everything fell apart for you. That's pretty much it, <laughs> because the rest can go so many different directions based on your choices and the type of character you play, and it's there's a lot. <laughs> Jason, why don't you uh, kick us off? We've, we've heard in previous episodes you like this game a bit. Yeah, I, I've mentioned it a few times previously. This is probably one of my favorite games of all time, just in how inventive it is. I mean, I think kind of one of the key things to talk about is the game is an RPG, but kind of unlike any other RPGs, you don't really have a whole party of characters. You have your partner, Kim, uh, who, you know, he's a he's another police officer. He's a lieutenant in a different precinct than your character. But other than that, your party is primarily made up of the different personas and uh, just different parts of the main character's psyche. So, like, you have... You know, uh, there's there's one called electrochemistry, and that one is essentially your knowledge of drugs, and also your urge to do drugs. <laughs> so anytime you're interacting with something in the world, one of these parts of your psyche will just pop up and you know offer its opinion on what's happening, or you know if you have enough points in you you level up your different psyches. Uh, every time you level up, you can either put a point into upgrading one of your psyches to make it to where it's more likely to roll well or to get a new thought or forget an old thought in your thought cabinet which i'll get into a little bit in a, a little bit later there is a lot of depth to these progression systems you can go so many different directions based on just what parts of your psyche you want to prioritize what thoughts you want to keep at the forefront of your brain like you have so much control over what your character sees and how they perceive the world yeah, I, I think probably the easiest one to kind of get into with the different psyches is just electrochemistry, like I mentioned. I mean, what you're going to have with that is, you know, if you see a pill or something like that, you know, some kind of drug just kind of sitting around, your electro electrochemistry is going to come in and say, oh, I know what that drug is. It's, you know, blank. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's, that's cocaine or speed. Uh, and then on the other hand, your electrochemistry is also going to be like, now that I know that that's speed or cocaine or whatever, it's like, you should take that immediately. We need that. I want to just list off the skills really quick to show how many there are and how wild this gets. Uh, you you have logic, encyclopedia, rhetoric, rhetoric, drama, conceptualization, visual calculus, volition, inland empire, empathy, authority, esprit de corps, suggestion. Endurance, pain threshold, physical instrument, electrochemistry, shivers, half-light, hand-eye coordination, perception, reaction speed, savoir-faire, <laughs> interfacing, and composure. Like, you can, you will have different levels for every single one of those things, and any one of them can jump into any interaction in the game and totally change how you see it. Like, it is wild just how many different steps there are in how these change the experience based on which ones you prioritize. Exactly. And they are all, like, individual characters. They all have, you know, different agendas. Like I mentioned, you know, electrochemistry wants you to do drugs or drink. A uh, physical instrument wants you to solve everything by hitting it. <laughs> um, yeah. And then you have stuff like logic, you know, which is just about oh, I know how this happened, you know, piecing together different things that happen at a crime scene. 
Uh, I think the another big one like that is visual calculus. Um, you know, pretty early on in the game, you come across a set of tire tracks and a, a fence. And if you take a look at that fence, then your vi- visual calculus might come in and it'll be like, oh, I know what happened here. It'll be like, there was a car that started here, it backed into the fence, and then it drove off. And, I mean, there's 24 other, <laughs> or there's 23 other psyches. They can all do something like that anytime. Like with that one in particular, if you didn't have that stat high enough, you might just never know what happened to that fence. You might just assume it wasn't relevant to your investigation. Like it is, like it is just how much they put into every single item and every single conversation is insane to me. Especially for this to be like a pretty small studio and this to be their one and only game. It is wild. Like, absolutely insane how much goes into everything going on. Yeah, something we haven't really mentioned is, like, everything in the game is decided by a a set of dice, essentially. Uh, Putting points into your different psyches will make... It'll it'll lower the threshold that you need to roll above in order to actually, you know, trigger it. But everything is done. There is... You can even see it. You can see what your roll was anytime it happens. But anytime there's something important happening, there'll be... A couple of uh, six-sided dice at the bottom of the screen. You'll see roll, and <laughs> if you roll high enough, then you're going to trigger your psyche, or you know maybe something else. And if you roll low enough, then you're going to fail. And there are different checks in the game. You know some of them are called they're they're white checks and red checks. And uh, a white check is just a check that you can redo if you raise a skill, and a red check is something you only have one chance to do. Now I think one way to really highlight what this game is and how you need to think about it is to sort of break down the beginning of the game. So you wake up, find out there's this murder. There is a body that is still hanging in a tree from days before. So you go out and inspect the body. Uh, You quickly realize that between you and your partner, you just do not have the means to get the body down from the tree. And one of a few things is going to happen you can just straight up roll a really difficult roll to take out a gun, shoot the rope, and let the body fall. However, if you fail at that, which is completely luck, you will then have to go and seek out people to help you get the body down. However, there is a wall with a protest happening between you and the people that can help you. So you now have to figure out one of a couple different ways to get past that protest. And then once you get there, you have to find one of a couple different ways to convince those people to help you. Like, it is, everything in this game just requires a few more levels of thought than any other game I've played. And that's a good thing for the most part. Yeah, I, I would say generally, the game is also really good about kind of feeding you the information as you need it. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least, you know, telling you when you need to look for more information. Right. Uh, I, I didn't really feel like there was any point in the game where I was just kind of stuck. You know, like, uh, oh, I don't have any way to progress. It's, it's it's always, you know, oh, I have several different options of ways that I can progress. But I always know what at least uh, most of those options are. And mm. the game has kind of a cheeky sense of humor. So, you know, there are options that you're, you're just never going to think of that are available for some of the solutions. But for, for the most part, it's pretty good about, you know, telling you what you need to do in a way that's kind of intuitive. I, I don't mean to make it sound like it just kind of feeds you information you know force feeds it to you (laughs) it just kind of drips it to you and it's like oh if you want it it's here and you still have to put in the work with this game like you have to be very thorough you have to really seriously research things you have to try and approach every conversation with at least some kind of forethought about how you want this to go which probably gets into my one true complaint about the game and it's not so much something that's wrong with the game as much as why I think it's not going to resonate with a lot of people. Why this is sort of a niche game in general. This game requires that you be 100% engaged with it all the time. It requires a lot of focus, a lot of memory, and a lot of reading. <laughs> Even with the new voice acting covering up a lot of the reading in the original game... You still have to be very aware of what you have, what you can do, and what you're good at all the time. And that is that is a lot, I'll admit. And I'm partial to 
dumb brain games where you do dumb things and things blow up sometimes. So I really, really like this game when I am playing it, but it I do have trouble convincing myself to jump back into it. Like, I have to know I am going to have a couple hours to do nothing else where I can focus on nothing else. And it's a lot of games just don't need that kind of commitment. <laughs> yeah, I do think one thing we've kind of neglected to mention so far is that the game has no combat. There, there's no combat system. Everything in the game is done by either walking around and looking at stuff or dialogue trees and skill checks. The dialogue is amazingly written. <laughs> it's probably some... It's You know what? I'm just going to say it's the best game dialogue I've ever seen. Which is wild because I don't even think the game was originally written in English. So, you know, props yeah. to the localization team. And it's funny. Like, very funny sometimes. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely some really funny moments in the game. I can't think of any off the top of my head. <laughs> well, a lot of it's contextual anyways. Like, it's things that you have to understand the character's and why it is funny that they're saying what they're saying and doing what they're doing. But yeah, that's... I I feel like a lot of the dialogue is just heavily steeped in irony. (laughs) Whether the character that's saying it knows it or not. (laughs) I I think that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. You know, another thing we kind of mentioned a little bit ago is the the thought cabinet, which is super interesting. Probably the game's, like, coolest feature... Like, I'm not saying it's the most important, but I think it is by far, like, the best original idea in the game. Yeah. It's somewhat similar to, like, the trait system you'd see in a Fallout. But, you know, uh, as you interact with the world, occasionally, you know, different thoughts will come to your character's head. And if you want to, you know, think about them more, (laughs) you can kind of internalize them. Um, And basically, there's just, like, an in-game countdown. Because the, the game has its own timer, essentially. It tells you, like, what day it is and what time it is in the day. And that generally only goes down when you're talking to someone. So you can spend as much time looking around or, you know, walking around the town trying to figure things out as you need. But, you know, anytime you're interacting with someone, time's going to be moving uh, as you select things in the dialogue trees. It doesn't want to make you feel rushed, but it also wants you to know that, like, oh, you need to spend your time wisely. Uh, but anyways, as I was saying about the thought cabinet, uh, as you internalize these thoughts, it'll change the way you interact with the world. I, I think kind of the most obvious one, <laughs> and the one that's the most fun to talk about, is there is a finger gun thought, and essentially what it does is, you know, if you do enough actions where you're making finger guns, or you're interacting with people who are doing finger guns a lot, your character will just subconsciously kind of start doing finger guns all the time. <laughs> And it'll be uncontrollable, essentially. That's just something your character does now. <laughs> yeah. And it's cool because, like, it can be something as weird and, you know, out there as finger guns. But it can also be really important stuff about your character's past. Like, one of the very first ones you can encounter is trying to remember where you live. And the more like if you dedicate that as one of your thoughts like eventually it's not going to say oh yes i lived at one two three elm street but it will like he'll start to recall images that help him piece together where he's from and what his life was like and it's just it's very cool like and those are parts of the games you could just not explore at all and still get to the end and have had a full experience like this is just icing on the cake (laughs) yeah it's really interesting because some of the stuff uh the game will feed you some of the information you can get from thoughts but if you if you follow the right thoughts you can kind of get information before the game expects you to have it or at least before other characters kind of expect you to have it so you can surprise Mm -hmm. them by already having this information like uh one of the things that you can figure out through your thoughts is your character's name which i won't you know i'm not going to spoil it here but (laughs) <laughs> yeah, as you're playing through the game, <laughs> everyone kind of expects you not to know your name because everyone knows, like, or at least all the people that know that you don't have any of your memories are just like, oh, this guy doesn't know anything. He doesn't know where he lives. He doesn't know his name. But you can kind of surprise them and, you know, uh, kind of put them on the back foot <laughs> by just being like, oh, I know my name. <laughs> I guess it really sounds weird out of context, but it it, does, it's kind of it cool in context because. Yeah. You know, you, you can just learn things by paying attention to the story and following the right thoughts. And an important detail is 
the the things you're learning and realizing about yourself, they might be totally untrue. We don't know that. Like some of the stuff you come up with in the thought cabinet could be totally false and not actually like not facts about the character at all. But they are things that the character themselves truly believes, and like that's a really cool concept. So. Yeah, one of the things in the game, or uh, there's a set of thoughts that are all based around what the game calls your capo type. <laughs> I think there are four of them. It's like regular cop, sad cop, superstar cop, and uh, I can't remember what the fourth one is. <laughs> yeah. but, but if you're if you think you're a superstar cop, then you'll constantly just be telling people like. Oh, I'm amazing. I'm an amazing cop, and everybody looks up to me as a cop as they would a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. everyone around your character knows that, like, you're just kind of BSing them. Like, you, you have no idea what you're talking about, but your character fully <laughs> believes, like, I am a superstar. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, one more thing. Um, I'm not an art critic or anything to be able to comment on this too well, but... Um, the entire game, other than the character models, are hand-painted, and it just looks really good. There's a lot of personality in the world, not just in how you interact with everything, but just how it looks and how detailed everything is. And it's just, I think just the fact that everything is so beautifully done and so specific, I think, really elevates the entire story itself. Because it is a part of this world, which is very, very cool. Yeah, I, the map in the game is really small. There's there's not yeah, really yeah. too, too much to explore. But every inch of the map has something to look at. Whether it mm-hmm. just be, you know, something for your character to think about. Or, you know, an actual item uh, that'll help you interact with the world in new ways. You know, there's stuff like crowbars that you can get that'll just help you, you know, get into a locked door. Or something like that if you need it. Yeah. And it's also like, I don't think there's any wasted space in the game, which is really saying something with how games today tend to be. Every single item, even if it is something you think about, still feels like it has an important place in the world. And I can't say that about really any other game. Yeah, this is definitely one of the most unique and well thought through RPGs that I've ever played. It's probably one of a kind honestly i don't even know i don't even know if they'll ever be able to you know i would love to see more games like this though i mean if this could be a trend uh, at least having the option to play more games like this would be really cool yeah and it's it's weird because it feels like it's a product of a different time because it is heavily inspired by games you know monkey island sam and max those point and click adventures it's functionally similar to those games but it has a level of depth and variety and just individuality that none of those games could accomplish not then or now like there's something that i just haven't seen in any other game here that even though i'm not saying it's perfect for me necessarily i have so much respect for everything they've done with this game yeah i've definitely i've put a lot of time into this game i just something i've always really wanted to come back to it but I never actually finished it until the final cut came out, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago in March. And I, even from like the first time I played this game, it's just stuck in my head. I, I only played like probably 10 hours before I was telling my brothers like a few days later, like, this is the greatest game of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never, I've never played a game that just like affected me so much as that. Mm. And, and there are definitely moments in the game uh, especially towards the end that kind of affected me in you know different ways like the writing is so sincere and thoughtful in a lot of places that it kind of almost feels like the writers know my life <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's like it's just something so human in some of the writing that i feel like anybody can really relate to it it's just so unique i've never seen it in a game before i, I can't really get into it too much because it's really spoiler heavy yeah, but, it is hard to talk about the plot. Yeah, I, I feel like any part of the plot is it's almost a spoiler. I mean, and it also could just not happen for you. Like there are so many plot points in this game you could just totally miss based on your own decisions. And that sounds like I'm saying there's important things you'll miss, but no, it's like you will create your own version of this game. It's it's really amazing, honestly. Okay, well, I guess that sums it up. 
I don't know, three out of ten. <laughs> no, uh, Jason, what what what's your final say on the game? All right. Well, I, I feel like I've kind of summarized all of my thoughts on it. I'll just go kind of straight to my score. And it's going to be a little obvious, but I, I am going to give Disco Elysium a 10 out of 10. I feel like it's so unique, so well written. It's you know absolutely beautiful. It's just honestly something that, like I said, I don't think we're ever really going to see a game like this again. And I think that it needs to be lauded for all of its originality. <laughs> I am honestly in love with this game. This is one of the best <laughs> games I've ever played. For me, I just like this is such a bold game and it pretty much succeeds on everything that it does. My only real complaints are just the fact that it is a very intensive game and it takes a little bit too long to really show you what it is and what you can do. But like overall, I, I genuinely have no major issues with it and I've thoroughly enjoyed my time with it. I don't think I'm quite as engrossed as, as you are, Jason, but still, like, across the board, really happy with everything that's come so far and looking forward to more to come because I still have at least several hours left of the game. I'm going to have to go eight, 8.5 out of 10. I can respect that. Just uh, <laughs> You can review it again after you beat it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll give an update. <laughs> well, Jackson, I, I know this one wasn't really in your wheelhouse. Do you, do you have any questions? You know, I didn't play Outriders, but... There's plenty to talk about if you'd like to. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm pretty interested in this game. Uh, I just didn't get it because no money. He doesn't know how to read. Yeah, we're we're teaching him though. You know, I there's been a lot there's been a lot going on lately. <laughs> Jordan, because you have not got a PS5 yet, and my PS5 is set as your primary PS5, I can just play Disco Elysium <laughs> as long as you download it from your account. True. So uh, I know what I'm doing <laughs> later today. <laughs> yeah, can't recommend uh, it enough. Yeah, it it takes some time, but it is it is a very very fun game, and it it makes you think in a way that no other game I've played does. But Jackson, we'll we'll give you a minute here since you uh, haven't had too much on this one. What else have you been into lately? I've talked to you guys about this some, but I've been playing this this little uh, hidden gem, if you will, um, Timefall Two. <laughs> When when I have just a little bit of time to be able to do anything, but like not enough time to really sink into anything, especially anything I need to review, I have been loading up Titanfall 2 on my PC, and I still stand by that it is probably the most fun shooter I've ever played. It is very mobile, which I usually tend to really like games with high mobility, so that definitely gives it a plus for me. Uh, the guns are really good. You got unique guns, like a handheld uh, three-shot pistol called the Mo- yeah the Mozambique. Uh, I guess really it's not that unique. I guess it's really just a sawed-off shotgun. <laughs> shotgun pistol, yeah. though, yeah. Um, I can't believe you would say it's the most fun shooter you've ever played, or even talk about guns like that. I'm going to tell you about a little game. All right. I'm going to tell you about two of the guns in the game first. They're amazing. All right. So one of them is like kind of a rifle that shoots water, uh, and it's on a gimbal, all right? And then it's also got another gun that shoots darts. I'm talking about the hit shooter game, Carnival Games for the Wii. (laughs) If you're not playing Carnival Games for the Wii, you're not gaming, okay? Titanfall 2 is doo-doo, but Carnival (laughs) Games is a masterpiece. I think it even just recently got a re-release. Oh, heck yeah. But yeah, tell us tell us more about this Titanfall 2, this game that we are not intimately <laughs> familiar with. Uh, but like, I think the best thing about it is just where you have the Titans. It's just the gameplay switches. Like when you're playing as a pilot, you're very fast and mobile. And then you switch to the Titan and you're slower, but, you know, you're beefier. You can shoot, you know, giant bullets, uh, kill other Titans. Yeah. It's just there's a lot of like flexibility in there that you have to change around a lot, mm. and I think that makes it unique compared to other shooters, even like Halo, which I still think one of the best shooters ever exist. But you know, when you're playing multiplayer, you are just doing the same thing over and over again. Like Titanfall Two, you want to play match, yeah. just play Titan uh, the whole time. Once you get your Titan, you can do that. Want to play as a pilot the whole time, you can do that. There's even a game mode for that. Plus, it's also got a cool story or whatever, you know. I'm here for an update. Um, 
there was a new game in the series, the Carnival Game series, simply called Carnival Games. It released uh, November 6, 2018 for the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One, and the Switch. Mm. Uh, and Gotta I believe that, that it still has both the game where you shoot the clown and blow up the balloon, and it has the dart game where you shoot ducks. So, you know, really, Heck if yeah. you're not playing that shooter, then I don't <laughs> know why you're wasting your time with Titanfall. <laughs> yeah. So, Jason, other than Carnival Games, <laughs> what have you been into? Uh, nothing. Just Carnival Games 24-7. I'm addicted. <laughs> <laughs> occasionally take a break from uh that occasionally i've been taking a break um i've been watching house uh you know someone's got to keep peacock from going bankrupt and i i volunteer to be that person uh just because i like psych and i like house so far i'm only on the first season so you know it could it could make a turn who knows yeah i mean it's only been out for what like 10 years yeah, and a notoriously hated show. <laughs> yeah, people are always talking about how bad it is, but you know, I figured I would give it a chance because I, yeah, I just like to see things succeed, and I, I think it'll succeed in my heart. Um, other than that, I'm looking at picking up uh, near Automata Automata. I've heard really good things about it. I bought it uh, a little over a year ago and just didn't play it. <laughs> Yeah. So I figured now was a good time to check it out and actually, you know, give it some time. Uh, so after mm-hmm. I finish recording this episode of the podcast, I'll probably play it for a bit. So I want to talk about a show. Two words. Those words are the title. Are the title of one of the funniest, best written, most thoughtful, and genuinely innovative shows ever made. Can I take a guess? Those two words? Gilmore Girls. Oh. (laughs) I was going to guess 30 Rock. No, 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 no. I know it sounds like I am joking, but Gilmore Girls is incredible. It is laugh out loud funny more than most shows I can imagine. It has one of the best overarching narratives in television it has probably the best dialogue in in television. Like, just the conversations in the show feel real, but still incredibly funny, incredibly moving. It is, across the board, just an incredible show. In a lot of ways, it's really the Disco Elysium of TV shows. <laughs> if you ever say anything like that again, I swear. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, I am kidding. It has nothing in common with Disco Elysium, but it is genuinely an incredible show. Probably probably my second favorite show of all time. Um, we'll save the first for another day. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is, it is such a good show. It is funny. It is moving. It tells a great story. I think it, I, I think it is, it is a show that I genuinely don't know anyone that wouldn't enjoy it. If they gave it the time it needed, but I totally get why people don't, because like on paper, there is nothing appealing about this show. Um, but yeah, just, I, I really, really love it. I'm rewatching it for, I think, the third time right now. Um, I rewatch it every couple of years and have ever since it was first available to like stream and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such a good show. Highly, highly recommend it. Um, and it's long. There is a lot there and it stays good the entire way through. The Netflix spinoff isn't great, super necessary, but it's it's good otherwise. So yeah, check that out if you're the type that likes good TV shows. Which thoughts do you think would be in either of the Gilmore Girls thought cabinets? Okay, well, I think that just about does it for this episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at, the T- or at TBMcast, on Instagram at Totally Biased Media, or can send us an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Reach out with your reviews of recent release movies or games or TV shows, or give us suggestions for upcoming things we should review, or whatever. Just tell us what you think about the show, or what you want to see done differently in the show, or whatever. We're happy to hear from you, and we thank you so much for listening today. If you have any comments or complaints, be sure to reach out. And if you think Disco Elysium is bad, stop listening to the podcast.
What do you do if yeah. you think it's bad and you're on the podcast? We're going to replace well, you. You won't be on the podcast for very long. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, I am Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. And you just felt the bias. <laughs> <laughs>